You're listening to a resource from Alpine Bible Church. Alpine Bible Church exists to know Christ Jesus together and to make Him known. We are located in Sugar Creek, Ohio. For more information, visit our website at alpinebible.org. May Jesus be glorified in your life. Friday night and Saturday morning at their retreat up at Camp Choff. That's just uh, Canton Baptist Temple owns Camp Choff, and uh, some of you know where it is, but uh, it's not far away. We really had a blessed time with our students. Many of them are young and uh, just good kids, and uh, uh, we have been praying that God would really stir in their hearts. They're still meeting right now. Uh, there's, they're supposed to be having a share time right now. So uh, just what God's doing in their heart. We've been praying for them and uh, trust that uh, your kids will come back with just maybe an ounce more of Christ. That would be a great thing just to see them respond to him. We're uh, finishing up kind of a little mini-series I wanted to do, just walking through this thing called First Things First. Uh, just uh, the launch, the launching of Jesus in the ministry and how that uh, speaks to us and affects us. It's had a profound effect on all of us because of what he has said, what he has taught, and how he has modeled what it means to uh, live a life into righteousness, which the Lord Jesus offered to us when he gave his life on the cross. So we have uh, this opportunity today to know that, but I want to go back, just sort of walk through this again and uh, remind ourselves of what's the priority of our life and our ministry, our church. It's all wrapped up in here, even with... Uh, uh, Brad and Cammie heading off and a uh, team heading off to Sri Lanka, all of us going somewhere. We're all doing what Christ has called us to do, but it's all based on what he says as he launched his ministry and how that would affect us. And it affects everyone who's staying home because tomorrow you launch out to your day and uh, it's the same, uh, the same impact he wants us to have on the world around us. We're in chapter uh, three. I wanted to finish that up. And... Uh, Nope, we're in chapter 4. Sorry, I was moving all over the place here. We're in chapter 4. We finished up uh, half of chapter 4 last week. I had three blanks on my notes last week that you asked me about because I didn't say them. And I said, fill it any way you want, it'll be right. So uh, those of you who couldn't uh, follow me last week, I left my notes. I wasn't looking and I just ended the sermon and uh, totally forgot about my outline. So that's what happened. So uh, these things take place. They're, they're only tools to help us. And I need all the help I can get. Here we go. Lord, as we uh, begin to read your word, we've sung. We have lifted our hearts. We have reminded ourselves of your majesty and your greatness and your sovereignty and Lord, I pray this morning, even now, you would just take your word, and it's not just a story to tell, it's, it's a, a truth to apply. Help us to do that because of Jesus Christ. Uh, again, would you affect us with your word in a special way today, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. John the Baptist was baptizing a baptism of repentance. We said that last week. It was kind of a uh, 
revealing, if you will, of the darkness of people's hearts. I said last week that up until this time, no one had been uh, saying anything about repenting. Uh, the, the national Israel had not heard that in a long, long time. 400 years earlier when Malachi wrote his, his uh, brief uh, prophecy, uh, which was 400 plus years before uh, the book of Matthew even starts and before Jesus came. Uh, but Malachi did say this, and I'm just going to read a couple of things out of that little book right before Matthew uh, in chapter 3, whereas he's uh, basically... Uh, challenging God's people. He says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. When uh, John the Baptist came calling people to repentance, he was calling hearts to be prepared to respond to the truth of God. And that begins with repentance. Uh, the the uh, unique thing about John's ministry, though, was that he was appealing to the darkness in people's hearts. He was, he was trying to call them to repentance uh, in preparation for the Messiah's coming, God's judgment. And uh, the completion of that, of course, came with Jesus, who came with almost the same message, but with a different impact. I want you to see this. And so now we're in uh, Matthew 4 at uh, verse 12. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It sounds exactly the same as what John the Baptist was saying. And it is, but with a more uh, uh, deeper understanding than what John would have even understood as he gave that message. He was preparing hearts uh, and baptism was a way of saying, uh, uh, yes, I am asking God to, uh, to forgive me and cleanse me. And repentance was uh, the, the words. Baptism was the sign. Jesus comes and he calls people to repentance. Uh, but uh, this is the uh, sort of the finishing touch. This is the completion of what John the Baptist was asking people to do. Not understanding that something had to happen to complete the process. It was uh, a repentance uh, through faith and, and by showing them the light rather than showing them so much the darkness. And, and in doing that, he was sort of trying to help people to uh, come to light to understand uh, what this process was and what it meant. And uh, so repentance for us today is through faith in Jesus Christ. We call on him as Lord and Savior. We repent of our sins and he comes into our life and changes us completely. We've gone from darkness to light. That's the whole point. And uh, to understand uh, a little deeper what that means, 
there were uh, three parables that I'm just going to highlight one sentence from each one. It's out of Luke chapter 15, and you all know this text, but let me just highlight these things again for us because we sometimes lose this. The message from Jesus was something that was new, even though it sounded the same. It was a message of great joy. It was a message of forgiveness, yes, but it was also a message of relationship, and that was something that John the Baptist wasn't really even calling people to. He didn't understand this part. He wanted you to be ready to be judged. Jesus wants you to be ready to have a relationship with him, and then you will not be judged. It's an amazing difference. And so here in chapter 15, you have these, these three statements uh, from three uh, different aspects of, of this idea of repentance. And uh, we mostly know these. You have uh, the parable, parable of the lost sheep. And uh, one is found, uh, the Lord goes after the one, leaves the 99, you know that. But it's in verse 7, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons or righteous persons who need no repentance. The whole point is that God's concerned about the one person. He's concerned about the one person here this morning that doesn't know him. And he loves that one person, no matter who else is here, no matter where we're at, he loves you. And he wants you to know that. And there's great joy in heaven if you respond to him in repentance. When I pause and just think about that, uh, we just lose that. We just don't have the capacity to hold on to that thought. But one day we'll step into heaven and understand just how meaningful those decisions were in glory. That was another one. The second parable is in verses 8 through uh, 10. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? That's my wife with her keys. Some of you have these problems, and you know, uh, uh, if I set something down, I'm a person of I'm a person of habit. My my wife's not so much a habit, but I am a habit person. So, I'm worse than she is if I misplace something that's not in its proper place. So, if I get sidetracked by something for some other reason, and I set my keys somewhere else for a second, I'll totally uh, lose them. Uh, or my glasses are the worst ones. If I set these down without thinking and put them in some abstract place, I cannot find them because I can't see. (laughs) So I need help. I've gone half a day looking for my glasses because I couldn't see them anywhere. And then finally, I have to get Marilyn to help me find them, you know. You can imagine now, if this is money that's very special to you and you lose it, you're going to really do a house cleaning and the whole point of this parable is to remind us of, of, of this joy in finding something that's so wonderful that it's life-changing. So he says in verse 10, likewise, when they, you know, they search the house, likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. He wants to drive this home. There's joy over one person who gives their lives to Christ, who repents. Well, there's one more. This parable of the lost son, we all know the story of the prodigal son who takes off with a bad attitude, gets in trouble, falls into sin, uh, loses everything he has, uh, took what he had with an attitude in the per- first place, loses it all, loses his reputation, loses everything, comes home dirty, filthy, stinky, uh, broken, 
and finds his father waiting on the porch for him with arms open. The father runs to the son, embraces the son, and says, my son who is lost is, is found. It's a great story. But the greatest part of the story is, is to understand the joy that the father is expressing because he's representative of heaven. He's representative of the Lord Jesus. Watch, so he says in verse 21, uh, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned. And he's repenting against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's the right attitude, by the way, when we come to the Lord. But the father says to the servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. When uh, someone finds Christ, there's joy, there's happiness, there's a thrill. If you're a parent and your child gets saved. I hope you're thrilled to death about that. If you're a, and I can't even speak to the youth, they're not here today, but if you were a student and you had unsaved parents who got saved, you would be thrilled to death because your home would change. Right? There would be a great sense of joy. When someone gets saved in this church, this church is affected by that. Because it's an, if I can use this word in a negative, it's a positive, but it's an infectious thing that we need to have, that we, stir, we are stirred in our own faith when someone else comes to faith. That helps keep the church alive. That's why I've called men to pray on Saturdays, because we need prayer that somebody gets saved in our church. Amen. We all can live good Christian lives, and we can do great Christian works, and we can send people across the world. But if someone doesn't get saved through our life and witness and testimony, something's wrong with us yet, even though we do great things. That's why the church of Ephesus was accused of losing their first love. Because if you have your first love in place, how can you not talk about it? How can you not express it? How can you not challenge people around you with what, you've, what you know is true? That has changed your life. So these stories here are a great example of what the Lord expects from us in that response. I, I want to share one more. It's in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be closer to that. You can go back to your text. But Matthew 5, you have this, I'm not going to tell the whole story. It's just it's for an illustration. But in Matthew 5, you have that demoniac fellow who's, who's uh, horribly uh, uh, wrapped up in uh, uh, just in a terrible state. <clears throat> Uh, I didn't mean to, I'm not talking about him yet, sorry. I'm not there yet. Uh, Matthew 5.19, I wanted to use this last statement here that uh, just about the, uh, the light. I put it in the wrong place, so I got to do, uh, so you have this example of uh, all of us are light in the world. Uh, and so uh, he wants us to know that, uh, let your light shine, verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Uh, there's that great uh, example of that. And so uh, I want to just sort of tie that together with this idea that we're to be people who are bringing light to others. And uh, how thrilling to me it is, I still can't uh, even get, get beyond this, how amazed I am that heaven is so tuned in to our quick response to Christ. Heaven knows immediately uh, what we're doing and how we're responding to God's message of repentance. And it's a glorious thing to know that. Let me uh, uh, press on just with this uh, concern. There's a reminder from MacArthur. In MacArthur's book, Vanishing Conscious, Conscience, he, he writes this statement. 
And this is talking about the uh, problem with us repenting today because we've lost this sense of what it means to feel guilty. And so MacArthur says, to feel guilt is now considered medieval, obsolete, and unproductive. Uh, I want to go on and say the idea of sin, just the sin itself that would lead us to repentance, but the idea of sin, the idea of actually repenting of sin, the idea of the word contrition we know, the word atonement we sort of know, restitution we understand that, uh, and certainly even redemption. These words have become practically archaic in our day. They're just not even a part of the norm of our life anymore. And so if someone doesn't feel guilty, then what happens to us? Because how can anyone ever admit that they could identify themselves as being a sinner in need of a Savior if they're not guilty? And we live in a society that doesn't want anyone to be guilty anymore. Ann Landers, years ago, Ann Landers wrote this, guilt is a pollutant, and we don't need any more of it. So Satan's best weapon against us, against anyone today, especially Christians, is to dull the conscience of our thinking so that we fall into this pattern of thinking, I have no need to be repentive. I have no need to be forgiven. I don't really need a Savior. And I think that there's nothing more, more fearful to me than, as we know from Spurgeon, uh, to be a sinner in the hands of an angry God. I can't imagine being in that position. Can you? Judgment is coming. But I want to thank the Lord Jesus Christ that he has offered me a, an opportunity to understand guilt before my God who's perfect, to understand I'm a sinner and I'm in need of repentance, and I believe that through the gospel of Jesus Christ I can express that repentance to, the, to him and have Jesus Christ living in my life and, and be set free from the whole condemnation and the, the need anymore for me to repent of my original sin. It's all forgiven. And I just need to sort of, as, as Nick read this morning, stay in a right relationship with him, yes. But I am forgiven. I am completely forgiven in Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. So when Jesus comes on the scene with this statement of repentance, it's important for us to sort of understand what he means by that. And he's calling people to an understanding of completely having this forgiveness in front of God, not just for a momentary baptism, which John the Baptist was doing, but that which would carry on through the rest of their life until they step into glory. I'm eternally saved. And those of you who follow Jesus, you are eternally saved today. The other thing is this, you know, this is just a sidetrack, but if heaven is shouting on the day I gave my life to Christ. Do you think there's any less praise for the fact that we continue to live and walk and follow Christ along the way? I used to think, you know, if there's just a celebration on the moment I got saved, and then, then that's it, the party's over. Uh, we have dates that come along. Have you ever, guys, have you ever forgotten an anniversary date? If you have, give me a little, give me a little bit of honesty. Okay, all right. So we've we've forgotten a date, and when you forget a date, or maybe you have good intentions, but the date slides by, and you feel bad, you don't want that to happen. You really don't want that to happen. Believe me. But when that happens, it happens, and obviously there's repercussions from that. 
but I want you to know that, you know, when we are consistent, when there is a sense of, of consistency and faithfulness and walking this walk, I don't think that heaven is sort of aloof to that. I think there's a constant sense of, of, of thrill on the, in the lives of angels who yet do not understand the gospel. Uh, as it says in Second Peter chapter 1, they, the, the angels still want to figure this out. I don't understand grace. An angel would say, I don't get the grace thing. I don't know why that my creator would give his life for those people, and they're not faithful. But I do think that when we are faithful, when there are spiritual victories in our life, I think there's still a sense of, of joy over the, that life that got saved back then is still staying faithful. There's a joy in that that I think is still real in heaven. It's not just a one-time event, and it's over with. Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that Jesus Christ loves us, wants a relationship with us. It's ongo- ongoing, and believe me, heaven is aware of our walk with Christ. I believe that with all my heart. That's the message of repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus says that, that's what he means. I'm with you. I'm here. I'm, I'm uh, on this journey and, of course, it was a journey to the cross. When Malachi gave his statement in chapter 3 of Malachi, Malachi was also referring to a twofold prophecy. One about Jesus coming at his first time, going to the temple eventually, which he'll do. You know that before he gets crucified. But we also know that Matthew, or Malachi is holding in place a secondary coming when he will come as king of kings and lord of lords in judgment. So we understand that now, looking back. So that's why preachers and myself and many other believers here, many of you here this morning, we all believe together that he is still coming and he is coming soon to judge. Oh, to take us out, yes. To deliver us, to wonderfully bless us with what he's promised, but then to judge. And we're not a part of that, praise the Lord, if you know Jesus Christ. The second part of his message is not necessarily, it's here, it's, uh, it's down a little, bit, little further. So he finishes with that statement of repent, and then we see him sort of put into place a secondary statement. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on uh, from there, he saw two uh, other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. And Jesus then went about all Galilee teaching and so on and so on. So you have this new uh, secondary message, which is simply follow me. Uh, obviously, they've already perhaps in their hearts responded to the first message. You can't follow Jesus if you haven't first repented. Uh, so this is a second message that he gives to those who uh, put faith in him. And I believe it's broken down. I want to break this down by who he says to follow me or who he addresses uh, under this theme of following him this morning. And first of all, here in our text, he's speaking to disciples. And uh, he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Uh, there, there are some who debate this uh, statement of fishing for men. Some uh, want to say that this is strictly a specialized 
group of people who are uh, specifically pulled out by the Lord to to be fishers of men, uh, you know, disciples who became apostles. You have uh, gifted uh, preachers. You have gifted teachers in the in the early church. You have evangelists. You have missionaries. And I want to respond to that by saying, yes, that's true. There are specialized ministries that uh, those who feel called, and yes, they should be following him and making fishers of men. That is part of the call. That's what you do if you're following him, uh, especially if he's addressing those who are certain ones that he's selected. Uh, if you read the little uh, statement in Luke chapter 5, verse 10, he changes it a bit by saying, from now on, you will catch men. <laughs> I've gone fishing plenty of times. I've had uh, different things on the line to try to attract fish to my line with no success. Has anybody here ever done that? You fish all day, nothing happens, right? You got the wrong bait in the wrong place, wrong time, whatever it might be, but you're not cutting it, you're not getting anything. Uh, there are times when, uh, obviously, those who go out to catch men, those who are going to fish for men, have to have the right bait, they have to have the right bait. They have to be in the right place at the right time, uh, ready, prepared. You know, uh, when I'd go fishing, we'd have all the equipment. Uh, the more equipment you have in your tackle box, the more prepared you are to make adjustments, right? If you go with one lure, and that's all you have. Uh, one time I, I went fishing by myself. I had a, my rod, I had a little backpack, and I had my bass lure. Yes, and I, uh, I was over in Wellington, and a little lake in Wellington, and I, I cast my line uh, out. It actually uh, didn't go out well because it was my first cast, and it sort of flopped out, didn't go very far. It landed about five feet in front of me, and I caught a fish about this big. I caught a, you know, a fisherman's story. It kept getting bigger and heavier, you know. But I caught a fish. I'm like, that lure is unbelievable, you know. So I got that fish off, threw it on the beach, uh, put another uh, a little piece of stuff, uh, a little maggot or something on the end, whatever I was using. Threw it back. I think it was bee, bee maggots or whatever. So I threw it back out, and this time, and I fished for another hour and caught nothing, nothing, nothing. There's no more fish in the whole stinking lake. No, that was just a fluke. That fish was starving to death by the shore. Uh, it didn't know what I was throwing in. It, 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 it was dumb. It, it took the bait the first time. Uh, most fish don't do that. So, you know, that was it. I had the wrong. So there, there's a problem when he says, from now on, you will catch men. Uh, I believe that this process of selecting certain people and saying, well, they're the ones who are going to preach the gospel. They're the ones who are going to, uh, you know, witness to somebody. Uh, one time I had a lady in our church in Canada. She called my office and said, I have somebody I'm witnessing to. But you know what? I really am not very good at that. I would like you to come and share the gospel with her. And honestly, I, I, it was one of those days when I didn't have time. And I said, you've been a Christian a long time. Why don't you do it? And she got mad. I said, wait a minute. This is your friend. You're a believer. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them your story when you got saved. That's all you got to do. Okay. So sometimes you don't always have to have the person who's assigned to catch men. But notice this, I, I think Jesus has placed an exhortation to all of us in terms of what it means to be the bait. Let me, let me show you here. Let me, let me go to uh, Mark 5. And this is where I was going to go earlier. I thought it was Matthew, it's Mark 5, I wasn't paying attention. 
in Mark 5. I want you to see this. You have, this is the story of the demoniac, the fellow who's full of demons, and Jesus casts the demons out, puts this guy in his right mind, gives him some clothes. Uh, he was kind of a wild, crazy guy out, in the, out near the water and just uh, in the catacombs, doing his own thing. Uh, everybody, everybody was afraid of this guy. Uh, but uh, Jesus casts out the uh, demons in this fellow in verse 15. Then they came to Jesus and they saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the, the legion, that, that's many, multiple demons, sitting. he was sitting and clothed in his, in his right mind and they were afraid. And those who saw it told how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about, and about the swine that the Lord cast the demon, demons into the swine. And you remember that story? Verse 17, then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. So, Lord, can I follow you? Lord, I want to follow you. That's what he's really saying. And, However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. That is the charge to every believer in Christ. It's not just for this one fellow. It's, an, it's, it's stated for the very reason that he's not a disciple. He's not an apostle. He's not a professional. This is just a fellow who's experienced Christ. And here's what Jesus wants from us. Go home to your friends. Tell them what great things the Lord has done. It's how simple is that? And how he has had compassion on you. That's just one example. If you would uh, join me in Matthew 9, verse 38. Another illustration here. We know this account just a bit here, but uh, Jesus is expressing his heart about unsaved people. In verse 35, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful. There's a lot of people around us who don't know Christ. There's a lot of folks around us who don't have any sense of spiritual hope. He says, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Here he's not talking about his own assignment of more disciples, more apostles, more preachers, more teachers. He's simply saying that uh, there's the harvest. It's beyond just the few I have sitting here, but that's, that's the field. It's, it's maxed out with need. So, you know, pray, he says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. One of the things that we do in helping to catch men is that, first of all, as we are a church that prays for that. I need to say that again. We need to be a church that is praying for that because we are a part of the attraction of connecting people to the Lord uh, and his truth and his Holy Spirit. Uh, there has to be a divine 
a net thrown out by the local church that says, we're concerned about that and those around us, and we're praying about that, that God will send someone to the field of the harvest. And and sometimes we think of the field. Years ago, I'd hear this, the field, and as a kid, I'm like, yeah, the field way out there in, in Africa and South America. and that, That's what, how I was thinking. No, the field is right around us, right where he's put us. We, me and we, become very complacent. I'm, I'm as convicted as I can be, and I hope you are. We're very complacent about this. Uh, notice uh, chapter 10 of Matthew, verse 32. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men... Or women, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. It, it's that statement of, I will be so proud to confess your name if you confessed my name. Makes sense? Look at the next verse. But whoever denies me before men, let me remember last week, denying doesn't necessarily mean that I deny verbally in the moment. Denying can mean I don't respond when I should have. Denying can mean I'm not going to act like a Christian right now because I don't want to stir the pot or I don't want to cause a, a rift in the moment. So I'll just be silent. And in many ways, that can be as much a denial as this picture we have of standing uh, some some formal before the before Caesar. I deny Jesus and they, they slit my throat or whatever they're put me on a cross. No, this is talking about our everyday life, how I can have a tendency to deny Christ in certain moments when I should have spoke up and said something. That's what it means to deny him. And he's just saying, if that's a pattern in our life, that we are, we have a tendency to just sort of not speak up and, and almost duck what it means to have a chance to share Christ or at least to identify who we are, he's saying, but whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Bottom line is that it's not just for the professionals or the preachers or the teachers or the missionaries Yes, we are fully responsible if he's called us to that. But yet, the Lord wants us to know that he has exhorted all believers to do that. And if nothing else, at least we can be, uh, if you want, the allurement. Uh, if, if we're not going to be the ones who catch men, maybe that's not for us necessarily. But certainly we are the attraction of folks to Christ. We are the ones who witness to others to draw them in. And maybe maybe they will come and they'll be sort of recruited into Christ by those that they hear uh, teach and preach or whatever. But uh, I don't know that I want to put that on me that everyone in this room is, is to catch men. I think that that's a specific thing for those who are equipped to do that. But we are in the process. We're not excluded from that process. The church is the, is the means by which we attract people to Christ. And maybe somebody else will be the one who actually does the catching. I, I, uh, we went down to Florida. My brother and I, I, th- I think I've told this story, uh, uh, we uh, dreamed up this scheme to go deep sea fishing. We'd never done that before. We always fish for the little things. You know, let's go for the big ones. So we uh, hired a guy, you know, guaranteed, it said in the yellow pages, 
guaranteed, right? So we get this guy, Captain whatever he is, Captain Ron or whatever, getting his boat, and he's telling us the, all the deal here, and got all these rigs in there. So uh, you don't have to do anything. I'll rig every line. Uh, we're going to go out there deep, and then, you know, when there's a, uh, when something's online, we'll take the pole out, we'll get it set, and then we'll hand you the pole and let you pull it in. I'm, I'm like, come on, man, I'm a man. I mean, what's this about? I want to feel the tug. I, I want to feel the, you know, the line snapping me going, yeah, and pull that buddy in. You know, I want to be like three hours to pull the fish in. You know, so we go out there and we are out there, I don't know, early in the morning, eight, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve. It, it goes on and on. Nothing, nothing. And we're just like, we're just riding in a boat out in the middle of nowhere getting a sunburn. So finally, he, 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 there's just nothing on the scope. There's nothing on it. I'm like, well, you're Captain Ron. You said that you guaranteed it. <laughs> so we paid a lot of money. I was, we were both pretty mad. We got to catch something before we go back, because this is embarrassing. Uh, you know, we'll go catch the. So he took us in shallow water to catch a fish. And so, you know, my, a little, uh, the line starts to go, ding, 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 ding. And so uh, he takes the thing off and hands it to my brother. My brother's six foot seven. He's 230 pounds. He's a big boy. And he hands in the rod. And it's like, zip, comes right in. It, it, there was no fight. There was nothing there, no resistance. And Neil pulls it in. I took a picture. because This is going to be glorious. It's just a little fish. I got a picture of it. Neil went deep sea diving or deep sea fishing. He was very embarrassed. He pulls it in. I said, the, then the captain Ron goes, do you want to do this? I go, nope. I want no part of this. Nope. We paid 500 bucks a piece to catch a fish this big. Nope. I'm not doing that. Captain Ron, you're off my scorecard. You're no good. Terrible. Just, just really not right. I don't even know why I told you that story. I've totally got sidetracked. Sometimes it doesn't always work. Sometimes you, sometimes I have prayed and I have felt it deeply in my heart that God was going to save somebody on this day. I've come here and I've preached my heart out about something and no response. You talk to that person later and you just pick up the vibes that they're not buying in. They're not believing. They're, they're just uh, nice people who are coming and going and there's, it's just not happening to them. And you wonder, what in the world's wrong? Then you go, is it, is it me? Is it, my, is it what I said or how I said it or what I didn't say? And you start to do that and you realize, no, it's, it's the Holy Spirit of God. He touches hearts as he chooses. I can't make you find Jesus. I can't put you on the line and pull in a whopper. It doesn't work like that. You have to want Christ. So our church should pray. We we are the ones who fertilize the field. We pray our hearts out for unsaved people. And as we do that, I'm telling you, eventually God will lead somebody in our path who will find Christ and find the joy that kicks heaven into celebration and turns the lights on in this church. And I pray that that takes place. There's another uh, person who uh, is following Jesus, and he has words for them. I've got to take you to Matthew chapter 8 to see this. This is to all who want to follow him. There are those who, who say they want to follow him. Now, we had this last week, but I, wrote it, I read this from Luke chapter 9. Today is from Matthew 8. Same, same story, but today I want you to hear who these people actually are. In Luke, Luke does not tell us. He just says, someone came. Someone came. Here, we understand who they are. It makes a bit of a difference when you understand now why Jesus says what he says. 
And so uh, notice if you are down, down in, uh, in 19, I'm at the, near the end here, uh, in the, sort of smack in the late middle of this. Uh, as we uh, just consider this, did I say Matthew? I hope I did. Okay. Uh, you have this. Uh, you have these fellows who are wanting to follow Jesus, and the one uh, there's this multitude who's with him, and out of the multitude, uh, he's telling them where he's going. Verse 19. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, uh, "Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go." Like I said, Luke, Luke just says someone comes to him and says this. And, of course, his response can sound harsh to these guys, but when you understand the source, this is a certain scribe, a certain scribe. That's important because it's not just a scribe. This is a certain one who's obviously sort of being tilted toward Christ. He's with him right now. He's been following. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. There's this great sort of exclamation, but Jesus looks in his heart and he says to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head because Jesus knew in his heart he really wasn't prepared to follow him, really. He was attracted to Jesus, but he was not ready to follow him in the direction the Lord's going. And he knew that. That's why he said what he said. Verse 21 then another of, there, uh, there's the word another, but look how he, he, he identifies. There, then another of his disciples. Oh, Luke didn't say that. Another of his disciples said to him, Oh, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Oh, now this really shows the motive that we read in Luke because the same response is given by Jesus, but now we know who he's talking to. This is somebody who's identified himself as a disciple. This is somebody who's already been walking along the way with Jesus, following him and declaring him. Oh, yeah, this is a disciple. Lord, let me first go and bury my father before I go any further down this road is what he's saying. Jesus says, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. Now it makes more sense. He's not being insensitive about a funeral. This fellow just wants to go home and be with his family and go on with his life. And, yeah, one day he will bury his father. But there's no death here. This is not about that. He wants to go back home and be with his family. This is not what he really wanted. Jesus knows that sometimes we have this uh, allurement to follow him, but really we have not truly uh, declared ourselves as wanting to follow him. So in verse 34 uh, of Mark, you've got to go back to Mark, because that's where Jesus sort of, really fills in the gap here in Mark chapter 8. He, uh, he really lays it on the line. This is a serious thing to follow Jesus. And so here's how the Lord puts it on the line for us. When he called the people to himself with his disciples also. So now he's talking to everyone, everyone who's been following him, who who's actually wants to follow him. He says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You know why I read this? Because this takes away the excuse that says, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe in Jesus, but I'm not. I'm not a disciple. I'm not somebody who's going to catch men. I'm, I'm not in that category. I'm just a follower. And I think some people try to draw the line differently. And that's a problem. 
Jesus is putting on the line to everyone. He's speaking to everyone here. And when he says, whoever desires, and then he says, whoever desires to save his life, now he's telling us that this is not about a separate class of professional recruiters uh, for Christ. This is about every believer who's placed faith in me. That's the category he's speaking to here. And then when he, so when he says, whoever desires to come after me, he's not talking about professionals and pastors and missionaries and all that. That's understood, but he's talking to everyone. Because, by the way, if you desire to save your life, you're going to lose it. He's talking to the whole crowd. He's saying that you can't, you can't say you want to be a Christian and then stay in your camp where you can sort of turn that on and off as you need to. No, you're either with me or you're against me is really what he's saying. So he's called us to this life of following him, denying ourselves, taking up our cross. Whatever that means, however you want to define that, it certainly does mean all the things that can hurt, weigh me down, trouble me. You're going to take those things up. You're going to probably bear many things that you wish you weren't bearing. It's not going to be a joy ride all the way to heaven. But on the other hand, that's following me. That's what it means. And it's going to be tough. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be trials. There's going to be heartaches. There's going to be failures. Uh, Yes, that's still going to happen because those who sell the bill of goods that if you give your life to Jesus, everything will be wonderful. And you can have him do anything you ask him to do. And he'll answer every prayer and you'll never be sick and you'll, you'll have all the things that you want. That's a lie from hell. Jesus says the opposite. So as Christians, we are constantly in this dynamic tension between uh, blessing and, and sacrifice. And, and it's a constant tension that we live in because sometimes we feel blessed and sometimes we feel almost embarrassed that we're blessed, especially when we go overseas to people from third world countries and then we, we have so much. You know, I, I don't have that much in my account, but they think I have millions. You know, their, their perspective, I do have millions from many people around the world. So sometimes we have to balance our life and say, wait a minute, where's the cross? Uh, things are going pretty good right now. I got, got this going for me, and I got that. I, got, I, got that. I wanted to buy that. I got that. I was able to get that easily. I, I, I have a house I live in, and during the cold, you know, I was, I was actually thanking God every day for the warmth. I had a little heater under my desk, and I would sit there with, Lord, I, ooh, I, just, I just want to warm up. And you just feel so warm and fuzzy when you do that. Oh, yeah, it's cold out, but I'm okay. But as you're doing that, you know, are we weighing the... Where's my cross? What cross am I going to bear today? Well, okay, I have this problem, but I caused it, so I guess that's really not a cross. Uh, You know, what is the cross that you're carrying? And sometimes we don't even know what that cross means. And I don't think you go around looking for one. Okay, oh, there's a cross. I'll pick that up and carry that. No, that's not what he means. But sometimes life will bring those things when we are truly, holy, humbly wanting to follow Jesus. He will sometimes allow things because that's what he had to do to endure and press on and be faithful in saving us. And he wants us to be faithful in following him. And he doesn't call us to this life of fun. Not now. But when I step into heaven, when we step into glory... If the angels were cheering on the day I got saved, can you imagine when you cross the finish line? Have you ever thought about that? Wow. If you got snapped out of here right now, 
You want to talk about party? I can't wait. One more group he's going to talk to about following him, specifically. Uh, back in our text, it's verse 25, Matthew 4, verse 25. Let me uh, lead up to it. Verse 23, Jesus went about Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria. They brought to him all the sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. 25, great multitudes followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. He had a huge crowd with him. Multitudes are following him right now, which is, sounds wonderful. Uh, if, uh, you're, uh, uh, if you're uh, leading a church and you have multitudes following you, that would be a pretty big head rush, wouldn't it? Uh, I'm guessing. We don't have a big multitude here, and that's probably okay because God wants to keep me in in the right place. This isn't about me, and I have to remind myself of that a lot. But here, you have these crowds following, and they have various reasons, but wow, he's going to just deal with this really harsh. I want you to go to Luke chapter 14. For those who think that it's just a, a fun party following Jesus... He puts this crowd in their place real quick. In Luke 14 and at verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him. And I love this, kind of. It's, it's, it's a tough thing to hear, but he turns and he says to them. So he's, he's recognizing, obviously he knows, these folks are all following me now. They've seen me do all these miracles and works, and, and they've heard my teachings, and they're, just, they're inspired, they're enthralled, they're, they're just caught up in the, in the wonder of this whole thing, and the, it's become a huge event, and so, you know, how those things go. So there's, it's a steamroller, and everybody's joining the cause. And as he's going along the road, he knows what's happening. He stops and he turns and he says to this entire crowd this very strong uh, statement that he makes. And it's, uh, it, it's something that, you know, isn't necessarily something I'd want to hear in the moment. But this is what he says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, Brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Then he talks about the cost. Who doesn't measure the cost? If you intend to build a tower, does not, all, uh, does, does not the person sit down first and count the cost? Whether he has enough to finish it. Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. Does that not happen to some folks who say, I'm, I'm following Jesus. Yeah, I, I got saved and uh, they give a testimony and you watch their life. And at some point in the future, they, they, they depart, they fall away, they disappear, they bail out on Christianity. And, and we all sort of see that. And it's, it's a sad thing to see that happen. And it's also a, a quandary because you're saying, well, was that person really saved or not? And the, the real struggle is for that person down the road when life gets tough again to 
try to re-enter into a walk with Christ because now they have to deal with the conscience that says, I don't know if I'm saved or not. And they, they have to live with that. that. That's a terrible place to be. Maybe someone here this morning is in that position where you have given your life to Christ, but things haven't gone that great. And today you're, you're guilty before God about some things and you wonder in your heart, I wonder if I'm really truly saved because I don't think I sound anything like what Jesus is talking about. And I want to just remind us that this is very clear as he speaks to this crowd. Wait, you're all following me, but if anyone's going to come after me, you've got a relational problem. You love everyone else more than me. It's, uh, it's not that he wants me to hate my mom and dad. I've never believed that. Jesus wouldn't call me to do that. He's called me to care for them and love them and, and encourage them and take care of them. Any young son or daughter who doesn't take care of their parents is anathema. They're, they're, they're not right. They're wrong. They're sinful. We, we owe that to take care of those that have given us life. But Jesus is simply saying, it's about me. It's about relationship. It's about loving me. As followers of Jesus, you and I, as followers of him, all of us this morning in this place, all of us here are called to represent Jesus to anyone or anywhere where we meet them. We're to represent Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are ambassadors for Christ. We, we are the ones who represent Jesus. As though the word says God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. We, we call on people to be reconciled. God's speaking through us. That's what we should be doing. That's, we make ourselves available to him to do that. So when he says, follow me, it's all about following him, committed to him, sacrificing for him uh, because we love him so much. But it's also caught up in the fact that what he's done for us is so amazing and so wonderful. How can I not say something to somebody? But beyond that, there's also this sense of I'm called to represent him as an ambassador and God wants to plead through me to others. But as I was speaking to the youth the other day, I, in my heart of hearts while I was just there in that moment, I, I, I just felt myself falling in love with those students and just begging God to, to help get me through my stumbling to say the right thing and to, to the right listening ear that somebody would respond. And I saw some kids that you know, in there that we don't know that came as visitors. I don't even think they are churched kids, so they weren't quite clear what I was probably saying or teaching, but can they just hear that much that they'd be interested in Jesus? And you want to just beg people to respond to him, don't you? As God speaks through us. There's one last message that I wasn't, uh, I didn't put in your outline. Just one last thing I thought was important for us to hear this morning that Jesus has so repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, follow me. And the last one I thought would be interesting was this. Behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me. To give to everyone according to his work. That's what we now are doing. Waiting for him to come. But while we're waiting, we're busy following and representing him. And I trust that somehow that would be true in our own lives as a church that we're doing this. Let's do that. Brad and Cammie, as you go, uh, this, this message was as much for you as it was for anybody else. I, uh, going through this, I told the guys, I said, I can't help but not think about what you're doing. 
They're going fishing. They're going on a journey. And uh, those of us who are here are going to pray and be a part of the allurement as we pray God's work among the people that you're with, that God will draw people into your world, that you can speak to them about Christ. But this, this is for all of us. God, help us to be dialed into that and uh, make the adjustments and find out what it means to really, truly follow him day after day after day. This morning I came with a headache. Uh, it's gone right now. I'm, I'm thankful. These things come. These things go. Sometimes it's just hell doesn't want you to say something. Sometimes it's, that's all it is. Sometimes it's just our flesh. Don't let anything rob you from following Christ and being his light in this day of darkness. And it is dark. Lord, as we uh, close your word today, I pray that you would just remind us of first things first. We have a message, the same message Jesus gave, that we all need to repent. I pray you'll help people around us to still, to not be so mesmerized by the world's thinking that they would even think that they're okay. Lord, I pray that you'll just uh, cause people with empty lives to open themselves up to a truth that would change their life and fulfill them and give them hope and give them eternal life. I pray you'll create the need, the hunger, the thirst for your word. Use us in our prayers to pray those prayers for people, Lord. To put names in our, on our lips of people that we need to pray for. Lord, I ask that you'll continue a good work in this church, that you'll raise up more that would say, I want to serve in such a way that nothing would stand in the way of my service. I want to just follow Jesus so much that I don't want anything to hinder my walk or my testimony. Lord, help us to walk in righteousness and to live lives that please you and to be ready at any moment to give an answer for the hope that's within us. We give all the praise to Jesus. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for affecting us with your spirit, filling us and using us and equipping us. Thank you for all who serve in this church. But above all, Lord, we thank you for salvation. And we lift you up as our Lord and Savior in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.